Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 33 of the Dying Alive podcast this week. We're deviating from our normal format, and we're also Sam's Michael. Uh, we're going, well, you know, Mike Darney, the other guy that does the show this. We're going to dive into our favorite uh, Penguin uh, memories, I think is the uh, topic, and go into some games and players and uh, just a historical look down memory lane. It's episode 33. So as we said, <laughs> Jesse Marshall of the Athletic Pittsburgh here, joined as always by Pat Damp of the Penn's blog. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Jesse. We're sans Mike tonight. Pour one out for your boy. Pour out a uh, rum and coke for old Michael. Not guys with always us tonight. Guys always working. Got to hand it to him. But we got always working. At the end of the day, though, like we 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 said we were going to do the show. It would have been a huge like jerk move of us to just not do it because of no offense to Mike, but like I would expect you guys to, you know, persevere without me. Yeah, and you know it's it's been a little bit since we've done one, and truly I enjoy doing this. So any excuse to put the mic on and talk hockey or whatever we want to talk about with you guys is always a good excuse. Yeah, just getting it in on the hockey talk. So, so oh, yo, yo, hold please. On, hold, on. You, hold on. Before we get going, I got to, apropos of nothing, <laughs> I got to ask you a question, Jesse. I'm ready. If you had to rank the seasons of the year, how would you rank them? Ooh. I'm going to go at you like this. Number one is fall. Obviously. Temperate climate. Maybe rains a lot. Gets a little chilly, but you can live with it. Plus, you know, with climate change, summer's lasting a lot longer. So you get like a late summer that's like a pre-fall. Anyway, I'm going to go that first. Spring number two because it gets warmer. Uh, although maybe, you know, sometimes not as quickly as we would like. I'm going to go summer at three solely because I hate I hate oppressive heat and humidity. And like we're in the thick of it right now, no pun intended. And then winter four because there's nothing worse – like than being cold and driving in the snow. I hate the snow. The holidays are annoying. Winter's just a bummer. Welcome to the right side of history, Jesse. Is that your exact ranking? In the, I feel like I can, uh, I can I'm, swap. I can, I can swap. Uh, I can swap summer and spring just because I feel like that's what I'm saying. Interchangeable. I could move summer right, but I'm just so unhappy with summer right now. That like I don't really want to move it because it's either raining constantly and a lot and like flooding everything, or it's just like you walk outside and it feels like you're in a shower. And I, I don't know what it's like for you guys uh, down in Maryland, but I mean I remember summers in Pittsburgh. They used to be real cool, but now it's like a couple days of sun smattered between a bunch of flash flood warnings, which is just just ridiculous. Yeah, no, I've been in. Uh I've been in Pittsburgh uh, a lot more than I've been in Maryland recently, and it sucks. It's equally sucky. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't really care. It's just garbage. You can't, you can't do anything in winter. It's why it's just not great. No, I mean, like, yeah, and it, it's, it's there's no sun, and it gets dark so early. And I will take a nice, warm summer morning over anything like where you can just like walk out the sun hits you it's not totally blistering hot yet just oh it's the best right and in the winter it's like it's just dark 
it's dark. You got to clean your car. You got to put on 15 layers just to walk 10 feet. What made you ask me this question? Well, uh, shout out to one of my good friends and one of our dedicated listeners, uh, Casey McGaw. Me and her have been battling over the seasons. And I saw something about this on Twitter tonight and I didn't give it a deep dive, but I did. I did see a cursory glance here. It's mainly been texting back and forth that we've just been battling over the seasons. I understand why she has a disdain of summer right now. I mean, she works for the Pirates AAA affiliate, so summer's a hectic time, and she's got to spend a lot of time in it. So I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But I, I'm a, I'm a, I stand summer. So this show tonight, as you can probably tell from the start, is uh, going to be a little unconventional. Uh, we went to Twitter. And we asked people for ideas. What do you want to hear us talk about? What do you want to hear us do in the summer? It's July. There's not a lot going on. Um, you know, the, the free agency frenzy has died down. And let's be honest, no offense to Zach Aston Reese, but doing an hour-long show about his new contract is probably not going to be the kind of thing that makes you want to listen to the program. So uh, in lieu of that, uh, we uh, a suggestion we received on Twitter is to uh, talk about and, and, and kind of go back in time and, and discuss uh, some of our historically favorite games, favorite moments uh, in time. Um, I kind of think, um, you know, I'm trying to go off the beaten path with it in the sense that, um, you know, it's easy to pick Stanley Cups, right? I had the same, so, I had the same thought process. I, I didn't go with Stanley Cup wins and Stanley Cup games. For my list, though, there's a couple Stanley Cup run games in it sure no and that's uh you know that's totally fair yeah it's totally fair um i would i have a few in mind as well but i don't want to do like game you know what like game seven in detroit like that's that's obvious it's just that's a gimme you know it's too much right. it's too easy just too easy so anyway that's uh that's the idea tonight I know that you uh, – I'm going to let you go, Pat, because I know you had one that you were really excited to share. I want you to lead off with that one because you hyped it up uh, before the show started. So hit me with it. So before I do it, I want to give uh, an honorable mention because it's not really so much a game. It is, but it's something that previewed a game. Okay. So – we obviously remember the 2017 run for the Stanley Cup. We obviously remember the Caps series. I did a deepish dive on that on Penn's blog a couple weeks ago. I did a nice little walk down memory lane for how incredibly lucky we were to see Penguins Caps in the second round for three straight years because of how awesome that rivalry is and how the level of talent on both squads continues to be just out of this world. But you brought him up a while back on the show. He retired this year. The hockey world's going to miss him. Bob Cole. Oh, yeah. His call before the start of Game 7, Penguins Capitals 2017, was absolutely perfect. Do you know what my favorite moment from that game was? When Sidney Crosby... And I don't remember what goal it was, Pat. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it might have been six. And it's fun that we get to sit here trying to figure out which of the seven goals it was. Um, but uh, Crosby's breakaway goal. That's 0-9, isn't it? Yeah. What were we, what were, 
I'm no. talking 2017. Oh my god! I thought you were talking 09. No, no. Uh, before the, <laughs> but, but, but I know the breakaway goal you're talking about. He, we're falling he, apart. He, okay. he came ahead. in. You go. But, but, yeah. but your right. your goal. Sid comes blazing in and almost comes to a dead stop and goes five hole. Right, and and Bob Cole's call on that goal is when Crosby, because you remember Crosby had enough time to make a corned beef sandwich in a steak oh dinner. Oh my god, he had like the whole gap. He and had a breakaway from the red line. You have to get the audio of this and splice it in, but um, I don't even know if it exists. But Bob Cole's call was Sidney Crosby, and this is in that Bob Cole. Sidney Crosby of all the people scores. <laughs> he said of all the people. And I was just like, I, I felt that, you know, I was like, yeah, no, like that game was so out of hand for the Capitals. And then, you know, that's just yeah. the appropriate call. He's one of those guys that's like, that's like a Mike Lang in the sense that he, he, he gets that essence. You know, other people don't have the capability to grab the essence of what's happening. And for as obscene as a moment as that was, you know, I equate it to the time, and this I, this isn't one of my favorite games, but if we're doing moments, um, and I believe this was 89, if I'm not mistaken, but a goddamn TV fell off of the, the ceiling in Mellon Arena, up in the press box. And the press box in Mellon Arena, in the Civic Arena, was like, you were up top. Like, you were, there was nothing higher. You know, you couldn't get, like, you could not have possibly physically been higher up in the arena. And, but there was a monitor affixed, uh, I think, maybe to the top of the booth, and it fell and hit Paul Staggerwald in the head. Second <laughs> <laughs> right ahead. And there's, and somebody, you know, it's, it's Andy Smith and Lyle uh, Kosas used to uh, do the Garage League podcast, and I'm pretty sure that they used, somebody used that avatar. I know somebody used the avatar of Steige with a bandage on his head. I may have miscredited them with that, but, um, and Mike Lang's calling the game because you can hear it. Right, I mean, Staggerwald's obviously wearing a mic, and the TV just hit him in the head. You know, <laughs> like, it's not like it's not like sudden death when he goes Jesus. Yeah, like, <laughs> something has clearly taken place in the booth, and just like butter, Mike Lang's calling the game, and you hear this like clunk, 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 and he's like, without missing a beat, he goes, but the TV monitor just hit my colleague Paul Staggerwald in the head. Puck comes down the left board, <laughs> and I was like, that's like such a Bob Cole thing, you know, to do, like, you know, to just uh, be able to to call. But Bob, I mean, you're talking about Penguin moments. Uh, Mario's goal uh, in '91, yep. uh, '92 Whoa, against Chicago, baby, Whoa, baby goal, um, and um, uh, then the uh, Blackhawks uh, goal uh, when he the comeback final four three uh, uh, or five no five four. Uh, where Lemieux, game yeah, one. yeah, where Lemieux scored, um, I don't know, was it 16 seconds left or something like that? It was obscenely. It was under a minute. Yeah, it was under a minute, um, and it was a set play off a face-off, Ron Francis. Um, because as uh, as the voice of God in um, One from the Heart said, Larry Murphy is there when it counts. <laughs> well, and then you put Lemieux at the point, so nobody marked him, and he just shot in uh, and was wide open in a gap. But anyway, uh, uh, Bob Cole's call on that one was, uh, how do you do, Mario? <laughs> Love you. <laughs> how do you do, so, Okay, Mario. so before we, you know, since we dived down that rabbit hole, so here's Bob the honorable Cole mention. Bob tonight here. <laughs> Prior to Game 7, 2017, Penguins Capitals, Bob Cole starts it with this. Well, this has been an incredible series. All you'd want. Everything on the line tonight. Game seven, folks, in 
it's so simple, but it in, like you said, he encapsulates the moments perfectly. Because 09, 2016, 2017, and even though it happened a year later, 2018, Penguins Capitals series give you everything you want in a playoff series. A legitimate rivalry, two teams that have developed legitimate disdain for one another, the skill is off the charts, there's physicality, it's tight checking, it's just high drama left and right, and the majority of the time, even though the Penguins have a distinct advantage in series wins, they all exist on a razor's edge. Yeah. One bounce this way, one bounce that way, it could be a completely different outcome. Well, that's especially true, Patrick, of uh, April 24th and 25th, 1996, because the game <laughs> crossed over midnight. Um, uh, that was a, that was the six-hour – well, the Penguins, first of all, by the way, uh, that was against the Capitals. Uh, game four um, of a first-round series um, – and they were down two nothing in that game. By the way, um, got them to the uh, uh, helped them to get to the Eastern Conference semifinals. But it was six hours and thirty eight minutes long, um, the longest in, in Penguins history. Um, I think at the time it was the longest since the nineteen thirties. I was not allowed to stay up for the end of that game, which ended, by the way, I believe at about two, quarter after two in the morning, um, and that was on a power play when Peter Nedved scored. Um, Tom Barrasso, a lot of people forget, left that game after the first period. Yeah. And then ejected. Mary Lemieux got ejected. Um, That's right. Yeah, Lemieux got kicked out at the end of the second period uh, for fighting. Um, Ken, he, went after, he went after a ref, didn't he? Yes. I can't that that game? remember. No, that's uh, Tampa. That was Kerry Frazier against Tampa Bay. You're that right, was the game right. where no, we'll get to that later, but we'll, we'll only talk about it now. But Lemieux said, for people that don't know, Mario Lemieux got a 10 minute misconduct and kicked out of a game. It was a regular season game against Tampa Bay Lightning for simply saying something to Kerry Frazier. We don't know what it was, um, but once Frazier kicked him out, he went after Frazier and tried to strangle him. Um, Joe Juno had a penalty shot in that game against Ken Reggett in the second overtime. Um, and got, that got saved. Um, but you know, that was, uh, you know, that was obviously a devastating loss for the Capitals. Um, and I, I remember the first thing, you know, I did when I woke up in the morning was ran, I ran my bedroom, you ran through a hallway, through the kitchen, uh, and then into the living room. And, uh, first thing, my mom already had the news on. And I just remember sitting on the couch and watching that goal over and over and over again. And, the, and it was those series, 91, 92, 94, 95, I mean, the whole thing, like, that, that created that hatred for the Capitals. And, and it's funny because we experience it from this one, like, lopsided, <laughs> you know, like, just, like, dominant, you know, version of it. I, I imagine, you know, you, pe- you people always complain about, you know, Caps fans on Twitter. You'd, I mean, if this is the if the shoot was on the other foot, I don't think people in Pittsburgh would be acting any differently. No, and, but like I said, though, like uh, they exist on a razor's edge, and only the victors get to write the history books. So obviously, we get to sit here and be like, "Oh, we dominate them in the playoffs." But I mean, if Nick Benino doesn't have that puck land on his stick in 2016, who knows if they win that series? 
if Marc Andre yeah. Fleury doesn't make a nub save in 2017 Game Seven, who knows if they repeat as champions? Yeah, that 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 breakaway. Yeah, and that was the breakaway into yeah 2009. Yeah, that was Fleury the one stoned Ovi. Yeah, and the Benito. Yeah, I mean that that Benito game. I just can't believe. I still can't believe that happened. Um, so the I, initial game that you said I hyped up. I don't know what triggered this memory, but it's from the 2016 season. It was March 26th at Detroit. This is, I think, for me, when I started looking at the 2016 Penguins and thinking they could actually do this. They could win the Stanley Cup this year. So they go into Detroit. They're down one nothing early. They score four goals in the second period. To go up four to one, they ultimately end up winning seven to two. This was one of the first big HBK games, and I think this is also the run where um, they started to put up an average of five and a half goals a game. Yeah, yeah. Both Phil Kessel and Nick Benino have five points each. Yeah, Haglin has two goals, and like. Because if every if you remember when they first hired Mike Johnston to when they fired him, they did not have a come from behind win in his tenure. They if they were down in a game, you could just shut it off and be like, okay, that's it, they're not coming back. They just continually came came back once Mike Sullivan took over. If they were down in a game, they were never out. So and that's when they really started to just increase their shot volume too. And like they were throwing so many pucks to the net. And that, that speed kind of became overwhelming in the sense that they were getting to the loose pucks first and they were just overwhelming the other team. Like nobody that was the thing, is I think that like that press and the way that they forechecked and the way they went about their business in the neutral zone, that hit a lot of people out of left field almost. Uh, and I think the team coming off of Mike Johnston had kind of been like yearning to play that style of hockey anyway. Um, yeah, they were they they felt like they were constrained and now they just the the reins were let go. Yeah, so they some kind of it was like top off. Yeah. If we're talking Pat about regular season games against the Detroit Red Wings, I'm going to go back to November 11th, 2008. Oh my uh, god, I love this game. Yeah, this is the Penguins' first game against Detroit after having lost the cup. Uh, against them um, the previous year, and they end up winning the game seven to six in overtime. Jordan Stahl uh, was the hero of the evening, notching his uh, second career hat trick. Um, and I believe Ruslan Fedotenko played a big role in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Uh, thinking back on it. An, an underrated pickup for the 2009. <laughs> yeah, no. Played a huge role too in like the Penguins beating the Flyers that year in the playoffs. Um, right after the Talbot fight, he was out there with Malkin, and, and um, you know it was huge. So, um, yeah. And then um, you know the, the I know the Red Wings in that in that game had a two goal lead in the third. Stahl got a second, um, and then forced the overtime uh, at the end of the third. Um, and then, and then called game and OT. Yeah, and then mm, no, he didn't score the goal in OT. He set he it up. No, that, um, he's that's what it was. Bruce Lund Fedotenko scored. 
Oh, he, and Stall set him up. Yeah. Stall made the pa- yeah, he made unrealistic the pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pass. Yeah. It's crazy how many you go back and there's like all the I'm going to throw one more at you. This has got me rolling now. We're talking about regular season games against the Detroit Red Wings. Well, well, the one thing I will say is on my notepad for this episode, I basically wrote it as I had two categories. I had in-person and not in-person. So it was kind of like games that I remember watching. Yeah. And then games I remember being at. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I regardless, I'm, I'm Well, this is when I was at. I'm so, up for jumping down the down the memory hole. This is uh, this is X generation. So this the is olden days. Yeah, this is the X generation. This is definitely November because I remember that it was not. It was raining on the night on this night, but it wasn't cold, and it was before Thanksgiving, and the Penguins were garbage. <laughs> like at this point, like they're already out of playoff contention. And Detroit's rolling through just like a buzzsaw, right? Like best team in the NHL. So I am at the time probably 18. I was uh, taking advantage of the student rush program. And this is – at this point, you could go the day before the game and get your ticket. You didn't have to wait in line. If you showed up the day before, gave them your ID, they would give you a seat in B12, which is right behind Marc-Andre Fleury and the Penguins' defense end twice. So, um, you know, the Red Wings coming into town, you don't want to miss that. I mean, you know, you know it was one chance you had to see good hockey. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? like, <laughs> but as always, you know, the, the Red Wings, you know, they brought a really big contingent of fans with them, you know. And uh, the place was probably a 50-50. Actually, it was probably more like a 60-40 split. I mean, the majority of the people that were there were there because they bought a student rush ticket. And a lot of us had been drinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> you throw that into the mix as well. That's just uh, not me, though. Not me. Um, so I remember that this game, the Penguins are playing a really competitive game. And although they took an early lead, Detroit came back, kind of regained it a little bit. Um, and the, the Red Wings fans kind of started to, to chirp a little bit. And at, the, at this point, the Penguins' top line features Rico Fata on one wing. Martin Straka on the other, and some garbage can of the center. I don't even know who it was. It's not even important. Um, it wasn't Jan Herdina. I don't know why I just thought that. But anyway, it was garbage, whoever it was. And, but Fada and Straka were like taking it to the Red Wings on this night. They both end up scoring goals, in the in, and I believe Straka's or Fada's, one of the two was shorthanded um, in the third period, and the Penguins won. Um, and we were you, everybody that walked out of the arena that night, Pat, was just talking mad smack. And the Red Wings fans were like, "You guys aren't even going to make the playoffs!" Like, you know, they, this is nobody cared. Like, nobody <laughs> cared. Like, that was the Super Bowl for, for you know that was the Stanley Cup final for us that year. Um, as like young eighteen year old kids, and that game always just stands out to me. I mean, I can remember exactly where I was sitting, um, and that was like one of the only games they had won that year. And we probably went to like twelve to fifteen games as a part of that student rush package, and they—I don't think they won another one. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another reason it stands up. <laughs> oh, dude, the stu- the the OG student rush program is just. Oh my god, I loved it. <clears throat> Nobody else was doing that at the time. The Penguins, no, that- re- and this sounds like like. You know, like uh, carrying water for them, but I'm not. But they were really at the cutting edge of that. Like they did that stuff. They invited us all to console energy center when it like opened. Like they they had like a blogger day where you could like go through the 
um, the construction site and like see the layout of it. And I didn't get to go because I tore my ACL. And I, <laughs> I tore my ACL playing hockey and I had surgery. And then the uh, the tour was like five days later and I was convinced I was going to go. Like nice. I, they had my badge printed out. I had a hard hat ready. And then like three days later, like in this pain induced haze, I'm like, I can't come. <laughs> Not going to make it. And then um, there was student flush. <laughs> what? Remember student? Remember student flush? No. Right before console, uh, right before console slash PPG opened, they uh, they had a thing where they were testing out the plumbing. And the, oh, that's and right! The, and everybody could go in the arena and flush a toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that. Oh my god! Oh man! That was oh, great. So it, it's my turn for a game, isn't it? Yeah. I just did three. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> uh, I'll switch over to my in-person column. Uh, one of my favorites was the first game of the 2009 Stanley Cup run against Philadelphia at Mellon Arena. The Penguins won three to nothing, or no. three to one. And I had seats all the way up in E. But I saw the third, the Penguins' third goal, which was Evgeny Malkin picking up Flyers' pocket, carrying it directly around Marty Baron, and having an entire net to shoot at. Yeah. Like, all he had to do was just not miss the net, and he made no mistake. And, and the thing people forget about the 09 team was this was right before like the league really started turning around to speed skill all of that and the penguins that year were such a fun hybrid of a fast skilled team but still obscenely physical yeah like uh, just to make sure I had the right goals in my head, I went back and watched the the abbreviated game today of Game 1 from 09 against the Flyers. Dude, of all people, and we already talked about him once, Jordan Stahl was a damn wrecking ball in that game. Yeah. If it was wearing a Flyers jersey, he hit it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pat. Was that also the year it wasn't? That wasn't 09. That was 08 when Jordan Stahl's grandfather passed away and he had the hat trick. Yeah, that was 08. Yeah, because the Penguins lost the chance to sweep in that game and then closed them out in five, right? Yep. For Flyer. Yeah, yeah, because the the 08 run. That was the Eastern Conference final, right? The 08 run, aside from running into the absolute buzzsaw that was the Red Wings in the final – Dude, they cakewalked their way through the East. They won every series in five. Yeah. Or, no, I, did they sweep Ottawa in the first round? I don't remember. But I, I know that they never played more than five games in the Eastern Conference yeah. playoffs. Like, they they just slept walked through the East. Yeah, it was a little bit tougher the second time around. Yeah, because they went Dance to... Carolina. Yeah, they went to, what was it, six against the Flyers... They went to seven against the Caps. They swept Carolina, and then obviously seven against Detroit. Yeah. 
And then the year before that, it was the Rangers. It was uh, Rangers. Who did they have in the second round? Was it Ottawa? No, it wasn't Ottawa. Who the hell did they play? Uh, this is disappointing that I can't remember this. Shit. They opened against the Rangers for sure, though, because Yager was there. No. Didn't they have the Rangers in the second round? Who did they have in the did, first round? Didn't it Ottawa. go Ottawa, Ottawa Rangers, Rangers, Flyers, Detroit? Yeah, that's what it was. So the Yager series was the second round. That's right. Not the first round. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, oh, also, one other thing that didn't get talked about a lot, and it just adds to the charm that is Melon, that was Melon Arena, game one against the Flyers that year, the red lights behind the goal didn't work. Yeah. Forgot so when teams when the Flyers or Penguins scored, it ha- it had to rely solely on the refs' call. It, there was no red light behind that. Oh my god! Um, god, that dump! I miss it so much. Uh, you remember the smell? Yes, distinctly. Yeah, it just had a smell. It's hard you, to explain what it was, but it definitely had nachos in it. That's for sure. It was like it was like a combination of like stale beer, cold mold. air, mold. And nacho cheese. That's exactly what it was. And like your grandma's linoleum. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Um, I'll throw this one at you too. Um, and this goes way back as well. But the uh, final game, one of the final games of the regular season uh, where the Penguins were embroiled in just a, a knockout battle with the Carolina Hurricanes and Alexei Morozov scored late in the third period and picked up the crest of his jersey. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. That was way back when. I think that might have been the year before the lockout, right? It's in that era because they were wearing the Vegas the gold Vegas blacks. gold with the uh, – but the old skating penguin logo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. You got um, a good one for us here? Yeah. You ready? Hit me with it. Uh, I was, this is another one that was, uh, in person, um, prior to my time in the media. I don't even know that I had a website at this point, but, um, unforgettable moment when Miroslav Shatan came out of the penalty box in game one against Carolina and scored oh. on the breakaway. And that's just so special. Cause like nobody disliked Miroslav Shatan, you know, nobody disliked him. And when he got sent down to Wilkes-Barre, he didn't complain about it. He took it in stride. Everybody talked about what a good influence he was there, the positive like feedback he was given to the young guys. He's needed in the playoffs. He comes back up and in his first game takes a penalty and comes out of the box. And um, No, he didn't take the penalty. I think it was a bench penalty, and he served it. Uh, but he came out of the box and, and beats just destroyed Cam Ward on a breakaway just absolutely obliterated him. And that was like at the time, like Carolina, you didn't think was going to be a cakewalk like that. You know, a lot of people thought that was going to be a tougher series, but um, that was one of those early moments where you're like, eh, this might get away from them a little bit. No, in fun uh, six degrees of separation for that series, the iconic Evgeny Malkin, Malkin spin around, backhand, burrowing, backhand, oh my yeah. word. Yeah. You know who the center he was opposing on that faceoff was? No. Matt Cullen. <laughs> How about that? So, yeah, like, I didn't realize it until, like, I think it was between 16 and 17. I was like, holy shit, that was 
He beat Matt Cullen on that drive. He pushed it through Matt Cullen's legs and was just like, thanks, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> I think to date, um, if I'm ranking like individual like playoff performances in the Crosby Malkin era, um, I think I might go Malkin in that series at one, Crosby against Nashville at two. Specifically Crosby in games five, six in Nashville. Crosby against Nashville, like we we can obviously and actually let me let me backtrack that. Crosby was the head and shoulders winner of the Con Smythe in twenty seventeen. Like absolutely zero debate on that. And I know a lot of people love to debate for twenty sixteen Crosby versus Kessel, which R.I.P. We miss you already, Phil. Um I think the 2016 final is why Crosby won the Conn Smythe that year. No question about it. No question. Like so that was like what have that was very what have you done for me lately? <laughs> it, it it was, but it was also a matter of basically that final. Sid just basically said, "Jump on my back. We are not losing the Stanley Cup." And that was I, that. That was the that was the. I guess you could say end or beginning of the maturation of Sidney Crosby from like being one of the best to being like kind of part of the old guard because like he had that perspective of I don't know when I'm going to be back in the Stanley Cup final again so mm-hmm. I'm emptying the tank no matter what that's exactly what it was I I just you know even to this day Pat I saw him do things in that series and i mean just the tiniest things you i i, I if i when my de- when i'm retired and i don't have anything else to do i might write a knob i might a full book <laughs> <laughs> just, or like a like a ten thousand word piece about like the tiny little like innocuous things that crosby did in that series i just had i mean it t- you know he didn't lose the puck battle his vision was at, at an otherworldly level he was. I remember a sequence that I I watched when I watched that series a second time in the summer. I remember gifting a sequence where he just broke Colton Sisson's angles in the most embarrassing. Colton Sisson's, by the way, he got a massive contract today. Uh, who uh, just broke his ankles completely? That was where he, he stopped, right? He just stopped on a dead on a dead turn on shook him by, and then it was like a very very much similar to what he did to Jason Spezza against Ottawa that one year where he took him on that run behind the goal and just like cat and mouse them for a while. Um, but even like the little things, Pat, were like you, anybody that threw a puck at Sidney Crosby, even if it was the, the shittiest worst pass of all time, he was killing it and putting it on a stick. The puck was just, it was almost like that. It was almost magnetic. Um, the way he was using his feet to kick it forward, the way he was gaining the zone. That, that to me is just, the the Mona Lisa of his career. I, I don't know that like the sun will ever be that high again for him. Like to, and just because I don't know that any, he could ever replicate it. You Which, know. And, and since we're talking about it, we're going down the memory hole here. Let's just keep it rolling. I've I remember in 2017 when the Penguins' 50th anniversary documentary came out. And they get to 2012 where Sid gets hurt at the Winter Classic. 
And of all people, Steigerwald says it. He was basically like, can you imagine what Sidney Crosby was going to do the rest of that season? The tear he was on. Oh, my God. I think he's sick. He had a 25-game point streak right in the middle of the season where he put up 25 goals and 25 assists, 50 points. It was obscene. He was so locked in and just so above everybody else that he was – I think the projection for that year, I think he was on pace for like 140 points. Yeah, 133 if I remember correctly. Like – and we're st- – and in 2011-2012, if you remember, we're still kind of coming out of the dead puck era. So like the fact that he's going to put up north of just 100 is impressive. The fact that he's going to flirt with 130 is insanity. Well, you know, it's it's the same thing for me, Pat, is like, you know, Lemieux wins the scoring title against Pat LaFontaine, right, when he oh comes back. God. But what would he have done, like, if he hadn't missed that time? <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, like, he had to push harder when he came back to make up the gap that, that existed between him and LaFontaine. But, like... What would he have done if he played a whole season? Like, what did, What would he have eclipsed? He'd have came you know, damn close to 200. The, 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 right, and, and the, the the conversation in the league then changes. You know, or the, the, the conversation of, you know, the Lemieux versus Gretzky thing, I just takes, it takes on a different shape. And I think that we end up in a kind of the same boat as Sidney Crosby. You know, and it's not, you know, Crosby and Ovechkin don't have that, you know, as much as we try to manufacture, we or they, I guess, try to manufacture it, they don't have that. They're two different players. You know, it's just the way it comes. It's, they're not the same player, and we can accept that, I think, now um, in this era of hockey. But, you know, you wonder, you know, what would his numbers look like if he doesn't miss that time? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll keep it with um, with Gino for my next game. It's, an, it's a not-in-person one. It's one that I enjoyed watching on TV. It was Gino's hat trick against the Lightning in 2012. Sid's still on the shelf. Uh, Gino's taken the mantle as the Penguins' leader. And his first goal and his third goal were... His third goal was definitely pedestrian. It was just a rebound he buried. His first goal, he took a really nice one-timer, noticing Rolison was off his angle. But his second goal is the one where he takes the puck at the defensive blue line, gallops through every person on the ice on Tampa, puts it through a defender's legs, and just sneaks it five-hole on Rollison. Just the signature. Yeah, and I forgot. Getting... I forgot all about this. Yeah, I know this... exactly what you're talking about. And it's 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 a seminal Evgeny Malkin moment because – it's Jordan Stahl he... was out then too, Pat, wasn't he? Didn't yep. uh, wasn't that after the PK Subban step? Yep. Yeah. And, but it's it's a classic of Genny Malkin goal where he puts everything together. The fact that he is faster than most people on the ice, he is bigger than everybody on the ice, but he also has the skill to just put all of that together and just say, "F you." I'm scoring. Yeah. Kind of hoping you'd see a little bit more of that this year. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then I, 
so I was thinking, you know, and this maybe extends beyond it's not not solely a game, um, but how tense things felt after Kevin Stevens made the guarantee against the Bruins. Um, and that's going back. I will put that guarantee over Messier's any day of the week. Yeah, because Stevens did it. You know, nobody knew he was going to do that. You know, <laughs> like nobody knew Kevin Stevens was going to go in the locker room and be like, I guarantee we're not going to lose another game in this series. And then they didn't. They won four straight. They won four straight. I mean, they that's exactly what happened. Well, not <laughs> that's exactly swept, what happened. Not reverse swept because that's down a three, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah, but still, I mean, it, it worked out, you know, exactly the way that he said it was going to work out. And I remember as a kid um, just being so tense about that. And I'm going to throw – I got a couple more I just want to throw at you real quick. These are uh, both really old. I remember exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing when Tom Fitzgerald scored that goal uh, for the Panthers in 96. Oh. And it just disgusts me to this day. Oh. Um, I remember as a kid being devastated. And then my, I think, all-time underrated favorite goal, and I was not there for this. Um, actually, the Penguins were on the road, so I wouldn't have. Yeah, this was in Buffalo. Everybody always talks about the Kasparaitis goal against Dominic Koshek, and I've talked about this on Twitter before. But, you know, I that year it was uncertain as to whether or not the Penguins were ever going to play in Pittsburgh again. Right? Like this is pre-arena deal. This is like the, the team's future is up in the air, and ownership is clearly saying every playoff game net revenue is keeping this team afloat. Right, like what ninety seven? No, no, this is two thousand and one. Is this wait? Is this Yager coming back on a pulled groin? Uh, No, this is this is um, Herb Brooks. Oh, okay, got you, Mm -hmm. got you. Yeah, and the Penguins are playing the Sabers. They beat the Capitals in the first round. Uh, That was when uh, uh, Marty Straka stripped Sergey Gonchar game six in overtime and ended up scoring and then uh the next round they played the sabers and uh most people remember that in that series in game seven um darius kasparitis beat dominic koshek in overtime but what people don't remember is that the game before that in game six um the penguins were losing to the sabers inside of 30 seconds left in the third period (laughs) like they were on the verge of being eliminated and mike Mike Lang was at the point where he was discussing it on the air, right? Like, not only could this be over now, this might be it forever, right? Like, this could, we may never do this again. And I think there was 16.8 seconds left on the clock, and Mario Lemieux scored a wonder goal. The puck was in midair. It had floated over the crease. Alexei Kovalev had tried to jam it in. Robert Lang was there. The net was empty. Lemieux was at the side of the net, sort of off to the side. The puck flipped over Hashik's shoulder, and he knocked it out of midair and tapped it in. And the Penguins tied the game, and Robert Lang scored in overtime. And that's how we even get to the fact that Darius Kasparitis can score that goal against Hashik the very next game. Um, but people don't remember that. And, and it got to the point where um, Mike, Mike Lang was saying, I don't know. Like he was audible, he was trying to. You could tell he was processing what it, he knew. The team scored. Like everybody knew that Mario Lemieux had scored. But Mike Lang is like talking his way through what happened and trying to figure it out himself. 
and he's saying like I think he knocked it out of midair. And next to him is Eddie Olchek, and Eddie Olchek's not commenting. He's just going, like, and like, <laughs> like was just he was cheering. I mean, he was audibly cheering. That, that it was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But that was the people. I think forget that that was the environment. Like you know, he had a job. Mike Lang had a job. They were working there. You know, that was that had been their life. You know, it, it was something they invested so much time and energy into. And there was a question as to whether or not it was going to continue to exist. And like for me, I remember that um, I was very superstitious and I always sat in a very specific spot. I watched the games and, this, you know, my, my whole family was like that. And I remember there was probably about a minute left in the game and the Penguins were having trouble even getting the puck into the zone. And I got up and I turned around and went and like sat on the couch like out of my game chair and was like devastated, like watching that clock uh, count down. And I had, I had for a moment, you know, like you resign yourself, right? To like, this is it. Like, that's it. You know, it's over. We may never do this again. And then that puck goes in and you're just like, what? And, and I remember I got back up, went and sat back in the chair. <laughs> I was like, all right, like, you know, like lesson learned. But to me, like that was, I think, you know, now it's different, you know, like, you write about it now. It's like you, it's just a job, you know, but to be like 16, 17 years old and to have that like raw passion for the game, you know, that like unbridled, you know, I live and die with this. That's probably like that last moment for me of that was that, that run, you know, where the penguins, you know, they beat the they get to the finals, they get, they get waxed by the devils in five games and that's it. So, <laughs> but I mean, that was like the most fun run, and you think back on it now and you're like, man, Herb Brooks was the coach of that team. Like that's crazy to think that Mary Lou was like playing really good hockey on that team. Herb Brooks was the coach. Like Alexei Kovalev's on that team. Like there was just – there was so much talent. You know, it was it, – it, it, to be able to like watch uh, Herb Brooks kind of like do his thing with that team so far into his career. You know, he died, you know, shortly thereafter. Yeah, a bunch of people forget that, like, Herb Brooks was a coach for the Penguins. It Mm -hmm. was fair. I mean, it obviously comes back to his relationship with Craig Patrick from 1980 and all that. But to kind of build off what you're saying, another one that I had written down, again, it's also not so much a game but a moment, and it involves Mario Lemieux. And it was, I believe... They were playing Buffalo that night again. So Buffalo again. And it was 07. He comes out to make the announcement that they're staying in Pittsburgh. They've reached an arena deal. Mm -hmm. And because the reason I put this in is so significant is if you're a Penguins fan, you know, Mario Lemieux is a man of few words. He doesn't talk often. He doesn't have quotes he doesn't go to the media he doesn't present himself as a public figure he's an intensely private person with a hell of a wine collection unreal (laughs) wine collection so for him to come out from the zamboni doors at melon arena in his suit with a microphone before the game starts you just knew the good news was happening yeah and this is this is pre-social media. This is pre-Facebook. This is pre, basically pre, right when the big site is MySpace. 
So I don't even right? know if MySpace existed then. It then, might have been it? in its infancy. Yeah, maybe in its infancy. Yeah. Gosh. So life, was, was, life was so much better. Right? Oh, my God. It was so much better. <laughs> maybe that this hellscape of a website. <laughs> So he comes out and basically just says, well, I do have an announcement to make. Your Pittsburgh Penguins are going to remain right here in Pittsburgh where they belong. Yeah, the where they belong fired me up. I remember that. And it was just like, they're not going anywhere. We're keeping our team. Yeah, that was a sigh of relief. Because there was a a real long time. (laughs) You're like, oh, no. Well, and we'll people keep, don't realize too. This is can I soapbox for a minute? People don't realize how shitty the Mellon Arena lease was. Like the Penguins didn't make any money off parking. They had to sacrifice a bunch of concessions. They were paying them every month to stay there. The money that they were making was not supplementing, and and, and the timing was particularly poor. You know they 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 started to run out of money. They had to sell assets off. And then obviously people stop coming and you're making most of your money off tickets and it was kind of like a perfect storm of like – Hold up, hold up. Let me stop you there because I'll jump on a soapbox as well. It was only a handful of years but I did work in, in hockey for hockey for minor league hockey teams, right? You can – like because it, you know to kind of build on what you said about the hellscape of a website that we have now with Twitter – so many people that shit on the Penguins love to come out with the, oh, you guys don't care about your team. That's why they almost moved. Bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. That's willfully ignorant of the situation as well. You it's, can it's keep dumb. You, in theory, could run a pro sports team, keep it um, profitable, and give tickets away for free. Mm-hmm. Because ticket revenue for most Pro sports teams is a drop in the bucket. It's all about your arena deal, your TV you deal, and your corporate dollars. Yeah, all of which sucked. The yeah. only thing you can tie to, to to ticket revenue is corporate dollars, because when you're selling sponsorships, your selling point is you are going to get your advertisement in front of X amount of people. Well, if you're not selling out, you can't say you're going to get your advertisement in front of 17,000 people because nobody's showing up. But if you have a good arena deal, a good TV deal, you're making money from your arena, you're making money from the TV station you're with, make money from concessions and parking, you can theoretically run a team and never sell a ticket. Well, I think that three Stanley Cup leaders or three Stanley Cups later, uh, uh, state and government leadership ought to be pretty happy that they kept them. Away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's not to mention, you know, the NCAA uh, tournament, you know, re- wrestling, whether it be wrestling, basketball. You know, I know the Three Rivers Classic's not happening this year, but um, yeah, this is a lot of good that's come from having the place there. So, but 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 to what you were saying, like the idea that oh, fans didn't show up is why the Penguins were about to move is willfully ignorant. Mm, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, Patrick. I'm out of memories. I have uh, I have one more. Hit me with that, it that I want to bring up, and it's just it's a it's a personal one, but it's also a good one. It's uh, I got to go to the 2009 2010 home opener where they raised the 2009 mm. Cup banner. Yes. And Who was that like, against the Rangers? They okay. won three to two. 
I'm glad you remember that because I don't. It was a really bright spot in my life because for those that know me personally know that 2009 was just an awful, awful year in my life. It was a butthole. I I lost my dad a few months before it. Uh, He passed away. Um, I was just about to start playing college hockey, but because of my dad passing away, I had to put that on hold for a little bit so I could be with my family. Um, And one of my family friends who, God bless him, my dad's friend Joe basically just opened up the tank and found a way to get me two tickets to the game so I could go I feel and like, see it. I feel like, Pat, everybody's dad has a friend named Joe. He's just a good guy. It, it, I, I, I don't know if the math backs it up, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it does. <clears throat> but so getting like, the, you know, being someone that was hopelessly dedicated to the Penguins for as long as I was, you know, that was like the culmination of being a fan. Like you – dedicate your life to this team that I mean because 2009 wasn't that far removed from them possibly moving mm-hmm. them possibly going away and, and that's all in the midst of getting Sidney Crosby and of getting Malkin and this core that comes together to win a Stanley Cup so getting to see them raise a Stanley Cup banner in person is just like it, it's a dream come true mm-hmm. That's a good, yeah. No, that's a good, and that's a that's a good way to to. That's a good last story. I got my face painted and everything. It was fun. What did you do with it? What what, what kind of style did you go with? Oh, I went one half of the face was black, one half of the face was gold, and I had pens written on the cheek. You know, Pat, if you had done the same thing for the three on three challenge, I question whether or not you would have won. I probably would have happened. I yeah. Mean, been way more motivation. <laughs> I think now maybe we know the secret to you successfully completing it next year. Well, I got to get uh, I got to get Peep off this uh, super healthy lifestyle thing he's doing and uh, what get a him joke. To Come do on, it. <laughs> do it again. Live a little, Peep. <laughs> um. So this summer, uh, Mike's going to come back and join us again one day, and uh, we're going to um, do more shows that you suggest. So let us know how you felt about this one, um, unless you didn't like it then don't talk to us at all. We don't want to hear from you. Um, but no, feedback, we appreciate. Uh, thanks to everybody who filled out the Dying Alive survey that kind of uh, we put together to you know tell us how we did and what you liked and what you didn't like. And um, I yeah. get it. You know, I, I, I don't want everyone – I know that you, know, you all said you wanted less Darnay, and I don't want you to think that this – tonight is anything connected to that. <laughs> no, seriously, though, thanks to everybody that did fill that out because we do this for you guys, really. It, it, like – I, I said it uh, when the Penguins lost in the playoffs, but um, we didn't expect to get this cool and engaged of an audience right off the jump. And you guys giving us feedback, giving us correspondences, giving us topics to talk about, we can't thank you enough. It's it's so cool and so humbling. And episode 33 is in the books. We'll be back uh, with more shenanigans this summer. And uh, thanks again for listening, everyone. See you.